Good morning, and a warm welcome to you this morning. It's great to be able to come together in this way and celebrate Easter Sunday morning together as a family. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And we come to celebrate the fact that our Savior is not some historical figure who died long ago, but was risen again to new life and continues with us as our Lord here today. We want to uh, mix our, our time together between hearing from God's word and responding in prayer and in song. And we're going to do all of that. But before we begin, a couple of things to mention to you, uh, just to keep you up to date with what's going on. There are uh, currently no plans to relax the, the government guidelines on social distancing. And so uh, our church gatherings will continue to be carried out in this way over the next number of weeks, and the deacons and I will update you when there are any changes uh, planned for that. In line with that, it, we felt it was right that we meet together for prayer as best we're able to, and so we've planned this Wednesday at half past seven to have an online prayer meeting over Zoom, which you may have heard of, you may be familiar with. If you would like to know more about that, then can you please get in contact with myself or one of the deacons and we can point you in the right direction. If you would like to participate in that prayer meeting, you will need a password to access uh, that gathering. And so again, if you can contact me closer to the time, then I'll provide you with a password. And hopefully we should be able to gather all together to be able to see one another, but more importantly, to pray for one another and for our world. And if you're not a part of Ladywell Baptist Church, but you live locally uh, and you want someone to talk to, you're feeling um, the, the, the pain of isolation, you're feeling the struggle of that, then I would encourage you to get in touch either uh, through the church Facebook page or the church website. There are contact details available uh, online. There are means of communication there. And if you would just like to talk to someone, to know more about what we've been talking about over the last number of weeks, or simply just to speak to somebody, uh, then please do get in touch, uh, however uh, you are able to. As we begin our time together this morning, I want to encourage you uh, that we're going to have some songs. We're going to enter into some sung worship. These will be part of a playlist that's put together on Facebook and on YouTube. And so I would really encourage you to enter into that. And although it may seem strange to sing on your own or just as part of your, your family and your home, I would encourage you to do that as we all worship together, albeit individually in our own homes. And to that end, at the end of each uh, underneath, sorry, each one of these videos that we put on the playlist, there will be a link to the uh, the next song video. If it doesn't come up, if you're not uh, watching this as part of a playlist, there will be a link to the next video uh, where we'll be uh, singing together. And so please do click on that link directly underneath uh, this video that you're watching right now, and that should take you to the next song that we're going to sing together. And so we're going to begin our time by hearing God's word and then singing. And we hear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 these words, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. 
we are here to worship not a figure in history only, but someone who was dead but is now alive, who has risen and leads us still as a Christian people today, 2,000 years on. And it's a joy for us to be able to do that, even in these strange times through this uh, online medium. And to that end, later in our service, uh, we're going to celebrate communion together, but remotely. And so I would like to um, extend a welcome to you if you would like to participate in communion. There will be at the end of this playlist, the end of this service, uh, a short time of reflection where we will eat and we will drink together. So I don't know if you want to pause the video at this point uh, and go and get uh, some things together, some bread and something to drink uh, prepared for that and we'll share later on in our service in communion. If you don't wish to do that for whatever reason, then that's fine. Then please do uh, skip over that, that last section of the video and there will be a song um, at the end of our time together. And so please just skip right ahead to that. But you'd be most welcome if you feel able and you feel it's appropriate to share with us in that celebration. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, this is a matter of first importance that Christ died for sins in accordance with the scriptures, but is raised again to new life on the third day. And he has appeared to many. We have encountered him. We know him and we experience him, and therefore we worship him. We're going to hear now from God's word, and John Hart, one of our deacons, is going to read the first half of John chapter 20, and then Alison Brogan is going to lead us in prayer for our church and for our nation. Good morning, everybody, and a happy Easter to you. The Bible reading this morning is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. He still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Let us unite our hearts in prayer as we come to the Lord and pray for our world, for our nation, and for the town in which we live in. Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Father God, Lord Jesus, we come to you today and thank you for the privilege of praying for others. We remind ourselves of your word that states, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. We humble ourselves before you, Lord, and we ask for your forgiveness for any unconfessed sins in our lives, Lord. And we pray for our world, which is currently at the mercy of of COVID-19. We pray particularly for the world leaders, that you would give them the wisdom and the strength and the compassion in their decision-making, that they would work together for the sake of humanity. We bring, bring before you countries and communities where social distancing is impossible, Lord. We pray that you send workers to help these people in these awful situations, those who are displaced in refugees camps and those who are homeless, Lord. We pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all of your people, that we would bring light to the world and the truth of Jesus to all. We pray for our land. You call us to pray for our leaders, Lord. And we pray for our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. We pray that you bless him and bring healing to his body. And most of all, Lord, we pray that he comes to recognise you as Lord and Saviour. We pray for our First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon. Please bless her and keep her safe. And we pray for the members of opposition parties that all may work together for the better good of this land. Lord, I'm sure that there are many people who do not know you as their Lord that have been crying out to you in these days, Lord. And I thank you that you know each one of their voices, Lord. You know their fears, you know their worries. And I thank you for it, Lord, that each one of us has been made by you and you see each one of us. Your word says that you heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. And I give thanks that you are a compassionate God. Lord, many of our congregations and members of our families have professions and frontline positions like doctors, nurses and and everybody that works in hospitals and community giving care and attention to sick and ill people and vulnerable people. And Lord, it's been said that in recent days they've described these medics, nurses and doctors and carers as an army. Well, Lord, I offer up to you this army 
and I ask you, Lord, for your protection. Lord, the battle is yours. I ask for your protection over each and every soul. Lord, will you go before them and fight on their behalf? We pray for school teachers, social workers, shop workers, police firemen and people working for the social sector, for the most vulnerable in society. We pray for our church community and we pray for our community fridge and we give thanks for those in our community who have stepped up to help. We recognise and give thanks that in these times of turmoil you are bringing together neighbours and many of us are being forced to stop and recognise what truly matters in life, Lord. Lord, may many turn to you at this time and be still and know that you are God. Lord, I'd like to bring before you specific members within our congregation that cannot be named on a recording, but you know who they are because you know all things. I pray for those who are ill. I pray for those in nursing homes. And I pray for comfort and healing for each one of them. I pray for those who have been bereaved. And I just pray that you give them your peace. I pray for those who are suffering with mental health issues like depression and anxiety. And I lift them up before you, Lord. I pray for the lonely. Help us to continue to support each other and build one another up. I pray for anybody who is struggling with financial issues at this time, loss of jobs and income, Lord. Help us again to to work together in practical ways to help one another and to share our resources. I pray for each family who has young children and the difficulties and practicalities of having them indoors at school and trying to work from home as well, Lord. I just pray that you build families up and and help us to unite and, and to have good memories of this time together indoors. Lord, we would especially like to give thanks for new life of a baby born to a dear family within the congregation. Bless them all in the days ahead, particularly mum as she adjusts to being a new mum. Guide her, uphold her and bless her, I pray, along with all the other new babies and parents within our community. Bless the families that regularly attend our mothers and toddlers group and the children from the Joy Club. Lord, we lift your name on high, our risen saviour, and our great High Priest, who intercedes on our behalf. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. Amen. It's a wonder to us, isn't it, that it's not just Christian people singing that testify to the greatness and the goodness of God. All of God's creation in some way bears witness to his power, his majesty, his creative ability and also points us forward to um, the new creation that is to come, where sin that corrupts this world, as wonderful a world as it is, will one day be removed and all creation will be perfected and we will enjoy it with God forever. It's great to sing of that together. 
We're going to hear from God's word again, and this time uh, Charmaine Widdison is going to read from the second half of John's gospel, and then uh, we're going to hear uh, from God's word. John 20, verses 19 to 31. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord! But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not be disbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Well, it is Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is a time where we typically focus on gathering together as one family is celebrating the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It is very much a family-centered time of year, and it's very strange for us not to be together as a church family. And yet, because it is such an extraordinary time in the history of our nation, it calls for a very extraordinary response. I can't remember a time in my life, certainly, where we've had to cancel all church services, not just for a few weeks. We've done that in previous years because of bad weather to cancel church services for a couple of weeks, but to cancel them indefinitely for an unknown period of time is certainly in my lifetime, and I suspect in the lifetime of all of you participating in this service, completely unknown. But because the times in which we live are so extraordinary, it requires an extraordinary response. Our Prime Minister is currently in hospital having contracted this virus and reacted very badly to it. He's been in intensive care. It's unusual for a sitting Prime Minister to have to lay aside his duties and yet maintain the position of the leader of our government. And yet an extraordinary time calls for extraordinary measures. And that is indeed very fitting for our reading and our considering of John chapter 20 this morning. 
This is a chapter that describes a day, just a day in history that would have been like any other. Indeed, a day for all of its sadness in the lives of the disciples as they see their leader has been taken from them and crucified and laid in a tomb. For all of the sadness of that, it is just another day. And yet we will find as we move through this chapter, it is in fact an extraordinary day. And the extraordinary nature of that day 2,000 years ago is so great that it requires not only the disciples of Jesus' day have an extraordinary response, it requires that we today, 2,000 years on, must respond to it in an extraordinary way. We cannot simply see it as being another historical event like many others. As we come to our story, we read in at the first half of the chapter that John read to us earlier, Mary Magdalene going through a range of emotions as she comes to the tomb in the morning to come to properly finish the process of preparing Jesus' body for burial. She almost certainly is coming to grieve, to go through that experience of mourning uh, as she goes through a tremendous sense of loss at this one who meant so much to her. And yet as she comes, she finds that the tomb is not how it was left. We find that the stone is rolled away, that the tomb is empty. It doesn't have the body of her Savior in it. And she doesn't know what to do with this information. She runs and goes and tells Simon Peter and the other disciple, as John writes, we think it may in fact be John himself, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them that someone has taken the body of Jesus from the tomb. That's the natural conclusion. The body isn't there. He didn't get up and walk out. It must be that someone has taken it away for whatever perverse reason it may be, and she's in clear distress and difficulty. They've taken the Lord, and I don't know where they put him. So Peter goes with the other disciple, and and they run to the tomb, and they get there. And as they peer in, it's possible as they see the grave clothes lying where they were laid with Jesus' body in them, they see the grave clothes and perhaps think that Jesus is actually still there, that Mary just has in her grief been confused. And so they go into the tomb and actually investigate and see that the wrapping around Jesus' head has rolled is separate from the rest of the bandages that Jesus was wrapped in. And so it's clear the body isn't there. He hasn't been unwrapped and, and taken away. Why would you even do that? His body has simply been removed in some incredibly mysterious way. They go through almost certainly a whole range of emotions in light of this reality. What on earth are they supposed to do now? The tomb, the body of one that they loved, has been desecrated in this needless and this senseless way. Jesus has gone through his ministry and has brought up again and again the fact that he must die, but also that he must be raised again to life afterwards. But they simply haven't been able to understand what Jesus has said. And now they come to the empty tomb. They still don't understand. Jesus has performed all sorts of miracles, has said all sorts of astonishing things, but now he's dead, they are distraught, now his body is gone, they are in despair. What on earth are they supposed to do now? 
Where should they go? They've left their livelihood behind to follow him for three years. They're confused. They're upset. Perhaps they're even angry and frustrated, not just at those they think have stolen the body, but maybe even Jesus himself who promised so much but has seemed to fail them. But everything wasn't as it seemed. It's unusual for a grave to be desecrated in the way they clearly think it has been. But it's not as extraordinary as the explanation that comes. Jesus' body was missing, but it hadn't been stolen. It hadn't been put in the wrong place, in the wrong tomb. Jesus' body wasn't there because Jesus was alive. And the reading that we began our service with this morning testifies to that, that it's not simply the imaginings of the disciples of Jesus who come and find an empty tomb and therefore come to the conclusion that Jesus has risen from the dead. They didn't expect him to have risen from the dead. They had no understanding that this would be the case. But what we find Paul saying is Jesus appears to the disciples and then after appearing to Mary and some women gathering around the tomb and then the disciples, he appears to 500 other people many of whom Paul says in his day are still alive. You can go and speak to them and they will bear testimony to the reality of this situation. This isn't unusual news. This is the greatest news there ever has been. Jesus is still alive. He was dead but has risen again. And the extraordinary nature of that day calls us to have an extraordinary response. Mary goes on to then encounter Jesus outside of the tomb. She encounters two angels who say to her, almost provoking in her a response, why are you weeping? And then when she says they've taken my Lord away, they say, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? They testify to her that Jesus isn't dead, that he is alive. And Mary then encounters Jesus himself. He comes and he actually physically meets with her in this garden around this tomb. And in meeting him, she is overwhelmed with the reality of the resurrection. Later in the second half of the chapter, the disciple Thomas um, is going to go through that same experience. He is not there in this locked room when Jesus first appears to the disciples. And he simply understandably won't believe them when they say that he's alive. This is a nonsense. And yet... When he says, I won't believe until I touch the nail holes in his hands and his feet and the spear wound in his side as a result of the the crucifixion, when Jesus does finally appear before him, he is so overwhelmed by the fact that this is Jesus standing before him. He doesn't need to touch the, the wounds in Jesus' hands and feet and side. He is so overwhelmed, he utters a phrase that no Jewish man could ever consider saying in any kind of response to someone appearing before him if there was any point of confusion that this was Jesus. Thomas says, addresses Jesus as my Lord and my God. Jesus says, you've believed because you've seen me. And he's exactly right. Thomas sees the Savior standing before him. This extraordinary moment calls for an extraordinary response. And so Mary, the disciples, and Thomas respond in this truly extraordinary way. They go from this place, this time, into all of the known world and will not stop telling people about this Savior. They spend the rest of their days completely living 
for Jesus, loving him, worshipping and adoring him, proclaiming the good news that he truly is the Son of God, the righteous Savior of the world. And this is a huge challenge for us because 2,000 years on, such is the impact of that day of the resurrection that we are forced to have a response. And because of the, the gravity, the magnitude of that day, it's right that we have an extraordinary response. Much as social isolation has been the response of our government to the times in which we live, it is almost unthinkable that any government would shut down almost every business in the country, would ask for the closure of every church and mosque and synagogue or place of worship. It is just inconceivable that that would have happened, in our minds anyway, a month ago, two months ago. And yet here we are. And such is the gravity of this moment of resurrection that we must have an extraordinary response to it. This was an extraordinary day. It was a day that completely changes everything. What difference does resurrection day make to you? Maybe you're not a Christian and watching this, and you're maybe wondering why you're watching this, uh, this service, this sermon at this time. Maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you're still wondering why you're watching this. And yet, on this day, as we look back 2,000 years, what difference does Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday, make to us? Jesus claimed to be God. Now that, again, is inconceivable for any Jewish man to do that. It was an act of utmost blasphemy. It's the reason why so many of Jesus' contemporaries wanted him to be crucified, because he claimed again and again and again to be God. And they simply could not abide with that. And in claiming to be God, Jesus claimed that he would die and rise again to new life to pay for our sins. Again, this is almost inconceivable to anyone of Jesus' day. That God would take on sin, that he who knew no sin, who was perfect, who cannot abide sin, would take on the sins of the world, Scripture says. A vast number of people beyond measure, sins past, present, and future, would take them all upon himself, would pay the penalty for that sin perfectly. And then because it had been paid for perfectly, there was nothing to hold him in death, and so he rose to new life again. And if we trust in him, we will be forgiven. That is the claim of Jesus. That is what Jesus asks you to hear and to respond to today, 2,000 years on from his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. He said to some of his friends back in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then in chapter 14 of John's gospel, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, to God, except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. He's saying, because you have seen me and the way that I live, because you have observed all that I have done, that you have seen God the Father. Jesus is claiming beyond question to be God. And because he has died and is now alive again, rising on Easter Sunday, that claim has been proved to be true. Because that is the case, 
His death was not for his own sins, because if it was, he would still be dead, such as the penalty for sin. But he didn't commit any sins in his life. He was the perfect, sinless son of God. And instead, his death was for our sins. In Acts chapter 13, we hear these words, God raised Jesus from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, then we can absolutely trust what Jesus says about himself and what he says he did. By the same power that raised him from the dead, we can be transformed. All of the things that we do wrong in our lives that we're aware of and things that we aren't even aware of that offend God that keep us distant, separate from God, that mean we can never have life with him, love him, serve him, and worship him as we were made to do in the beginning. All of that sin can be taken away, removed, dealt with. It has all been placed on Jesus at the cross. In his death, it was paid for. And in his resurrection, that payment was shown to have been acceptable and accepted. There is therefore now nothing to fear in this life for those who have trusted in Christ for their salvation. In fact, there is nothing to fear in the face of death for those who have trusted in Jesus for their salvation because he promises not just that he has been raised from the dead, but that we also will be raised from the dead to be with him forever. This is why Resurrection Sunday is such a great Sunday to celebrate because we are talking not just about something that happened 2,000 years ago. We are talking about something that will happen in our future. There is a sense in which we are already raised spiritually from death to life, but there is a day coming for all of you who trust in Christ that you will be raised to new life beyond death and will enjoy that life with God forever. Do you hear that? Do you hear the significance of that, especially in light of the events of the last number of weeks and months as our nation is gripped with the fear of sickness and death and all of the uncertainty that goes with it? Every day, the newspapers, the, the, the TV, the internet reports, the death figures for that day, and perhaps you feel a little twinge inside, a little pang of fear that tomorrow it could be you. Our prime minister can become sick through this particular virus. None of us are safe from it. So it's understandable we are fearful perhaps. And yet for the Christian there is no fear in this. For death itself is a fleeting, a temporary thing that cannot hold us because of all Christ has accomplished. If you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have nothing to fear in this life or in the face of death. And that changes everything for you. It changes how you see yourself. It changes how you see your family and your friends, this world in which we live. It changes how you read the news and how you respond to current affairs and events. That day 2,000 years ago was a most unexpected, a most extraordinary day. It was a day that has changed everything for you. It's a day 
that ultimately was for us. The disciples' bafflement turns into joy as they realize that Christ has indeed been risen. As Mary meets with him, as the disciples meet with him, as Thomas meets with them, they are overwhelmed, they are overjoyed, their, their praise is, is bubbling up within them for truly everything that they have lived for for the previous three years has proven to be true and worthwhile when hours before it seemed to have been an empty sham that had all fallen apart at their feet. This is why I think Jesus' strange encounter with Mary and then with Thomas is recounted for us by John in his gospel to outline the transformation that that day brought to these individuals. It brings transformation to everyone who, like Mary, sees Jesus. It brings transformation to everyone who, like Thomas, encounters the risen Lord. Jesus transforms everyone he touches one way or the other. Either we reject him and want nothing to do with him and turn our backs on him and respond in that way, or we come in repentance and in faith and a desire to put away all that is sinful and turn to Christ and live for him and love him forever. So I want to challenge you today, this Easter Sunday, how do you respond to that extraordinary day 2,000 years ago? Do we say that he was dead but is now alive with Mary and the disciples, uh, with Thomas in that upper room. He has paid for my sins by dying in my place. He has been raised from the dead because he is God and through him I can be raised to new life. And what new life? Avoiding the pain of everlasting destruction and risen to eternal life if we repent and ask to be forgiven. Or is this a day where you will come and say, I simply don't believe it. I have no time for religion. Even if that is where you're coming from, the issue you have here is the Bible claims that Jesus has risen from the dead, which confirms that he is who he said he is, that he did do all that he claimed to do, that he is the Son of God, that you can have eternal life in him if you will come to him in repentance and faith. And so the question I have for you is, what do you intend to do with that information? Will you deny it and simply say it's ridiculous in the face of all of those witnesses described, which if it were anywhere else apart from the Bible, we would take as witnesses to a historical event? Or do you come and say there might be more to this? Do you come perhaps skeptical like Thomas and say, perhaps there is more. I want to explore this further. I want to encourage you, if that is you, to pray and simply ask God to, to reveal the truth of this situation to you. To simply ask for clarity in the expectation that clarity will come to you one way or the other. Or will you come like Mary, perhaps confused, not knowing, not really understanding what all of this is about, and yet as you encounter Christ, you see, you realize in that moment the truthfulness, the reality of the situation, and joyfully come into his presence, struggling to believe, and yet overjoyed that this is the reality. This day is for you if you come to this as an unbeliever. 
This day is also for you if you come to all of this as a believer in Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. Perhaps you have been a Christian for a great many years. In verses 19 to 23, Jesus meets with his disciples in that locked room and he gives his disciples his own Holy Spirit and he sends them out into the world, not in their strength, but in his to live for him, to love others for him on his behalf, to share on his behalf the good news that he is the risen savior of the world for any who will come to him in repentance and faith. And he expects as he breathes on them in a symbolic way, imparting his Holy Spirit to them, that they will go and use that gift to achieve the ends that he has worked for in his earthly ministry that has begun in his Three years of ministry. He expects that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they'll preach the gospel. He expects that they will see sinners saved, churches planted and established. He expects that through his people going in the power of his spirit, whole societies will be transformed and God will be glorified in every corner of the earth. And so I want to challenge you as a Christian man or woman today in light of Resurrection Sunday, what are you doing with the gift of salvation and his spirit that God has given to you? What are you doing in your corner of the world to make him known, to see sinners saved, to see societies transformed and God glorified in all the earth? This is Resurrection Sunday, and it is a day for great joy and celebration, even in the face of the unexpected days in which we live. For all of the unsettling nature of that, we can still celebrate with joy, not just today, but on into the coming days and weeks and months and years, whatever the future will hold, because the tomb is empty. Jesus Christ is risen. Come and follow him. Amen. It's wonderful to sing the words of that song, exulting, glorifying the Lamb of God, this picture of weakness and of innocence, yet one who was slain for our sake, for our sins, for um, our transgressions against God's desires, against his law that have resulted in the breaking of that relationship between us and him. And it's a joy to know that Christ who comes dies to put all of that right. We're going to have a time of communion now to share together in eating the bread and in drinking the cup together. And so again, if you'd like to maybe just pause the video and get things ready for that, if you would like to share in this time, then I would encourage you to do that now. We're going to read from um, Ephesians chapter 4. It's one of these passages when it comes to Easter and it comes particularly to communion. It's a passage that is always on my mind because of the repeated refrain that we find in it. There we find Paul saying, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It can be strange maybe for us to hear those words in light of what we're doing just now and that we're 
eating and drinking in a sense separately. We're doing so together, but in our own homes, not in direct company of one another. And so it can seem strange to read of the oneness of the church. And yet we're encouraged, I think, in these words to remember the oneness of the church, not because of its geographical location together, but because of its connection to Christ. It's through his blood shed on our behalf that we are adopted into one family. And so it doesn't matter if we are in Livingston or if we're in somewhere in in North America or in Southeast Asia or um, in Russia or Eastern Europe, wherever it may happen to be, we are still one church, one people, one family with one faith. And so as we come together this morning, we do so to eat and drink as one family. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning as we have read in Ephesians as one people. Lord God, we confess the unsettling nature of the events and the times in which we live. Lord, the difficulty in simply gathering to be your people in one place. It is not possible for us at this time. And yet, Lord, we exult in these words that we are truly one family wherever we may be located. And as we eat and as we drink together, Lord, we do so as one people bound by the blood of Christ, which unites us in a way that cannot be separated, not by governments or authorities or by heavenly powers, not by geographical boundaries or even by language. Lord, we are united together in an indivisible way because of what you have accomplished in the person of your son through his death and resurrection on our behalf. And so, Lord God, we ask that you would meet with us in this time, that we would know your presence as we eat and drink together. And Lord, we would be encouraged not to focus simply on the days in which we live, but as we will see, as we eat and we drink, we are pointed to the future time when Christ will return and gather us to himself, when these remembrances will no longer be needed, for we will see him and know him as he is. Lord God, we ask that you would bless this bread and this cup as we drink it together and eat it together. Lord God, we thank you for the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And Lord, we ask that as we share in this together this morning, we would know that we do so as one family. And Lord, we ask it all in our Savior's wonderful, holy, and precious name. In Jesus' name, amen. The bread and the cup are for believers, for Christians. Christians believe that Jesus truly lived, truly died, and truly was raised from the dead three days later. This was done in payment for our sin, the penalty of all that we do wrong in this life that alienates us from God was placed upon him. And that relationship was restored as we trust in Christ for our salvation. If that doesn't describe you or you don't know if it describes you, then I would encourage you not to participate in this time together, but please do get in touch with us if you want to know more about that. But if that does describe you and you want to eat and drink together with us this morning, I would encourage you to that end. You don't have to be a member of Ladywell Baptist Church to do that. We're going to come now to eat and drink, but it's right before we do that we take a moment of quiet reflection to examine ourselves, to come and ask for God's forgiveness, but also to ask that he would prepare us as we remind ourselves of our standing with him, that we would be made ready to live for him 
this coming week. And so I want to encourage you just to pause the video for a couple of seconds, just to take a moment of reflection as you come in prayer before God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're going to eat the bread together, and as we do so, we eat it in remembrance of Christ's body broken on the cross for us that we might be forgiven. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Again, we drink the cup together in remembrance of Christ's blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's pray together. Sovereign Lord, we thank you that you do indeed sit enthroned over all. Lord God, you would have been perfectly just and right to have left us dead in our sins and trespasses. Lord God, we thank you that you sent your Son into the world. You were pleased to send him and to bruise him on the cross on our behalf when we simply did not deserve it. And Lord, we thank you that Christ was pleased to come and be that sacrifice, to go through the agony of the cross on our behalf so that through his death, a great many people, people like us, might be lifted from death into life, might be given an, an internal inheritance that is way beyond anything we could ever have deserved on our own account. Lord God, we thank you for your gracious goodness to us. And Lord, we thank you this morning as we eat and we drink, we do so as one family all across this world. And we think particularly this morning, Lord, not just of the church family in Ladywell and the north of Livingston. Lord, we think also of Dedridge Baptist, our sister church in the south of the town, and also Broxburn Baptist, Lord. And we ask that you would be with these brothers and sisters of ours, that you would unite us ever closer together by the blood of Christ. Lord, our desire to worship him and, Lord, to go and spread the gospel in this part of the world in which we live. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are not ever alone in this life, even though we may go through times of isolation. We always have Christ who goes with us as our Savior and our Lord leading us every day, but we also have our brothers and sisters who pray for us, support us, and encourage us as we do for them. Lord God, we thank you for you have provided for us in so many ways. And Lord, we ask that as we come to the end of our time together this morning, that you would bless our time of worship, Lord, as a time not just of giving thanks to you, but of preparation to go and live this week 
for your glory in light of everything we have considered, heard, and sung in our time together this morning. Lord God, we come before you and we bring our prayers to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A declaration of hope for Scottish Baptist churches this Easter 2020. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Through Jesus, we have been born into a living hope. Not a hope that is waiting to be formed. Not a hope that is dead and buried. Not a hope that is wishful thinking. Not a hope that is just a theory. Through Jesus we have been born into a living hope. The hope created by his resurrection. The hope confirmed by his empty tomb. The hope conveyed by his eyewitness apostles. The hope promised in scripture. The hope purchased by crucifixion. The hope proclaimed in the gospel. Through Jesus we have been born into a living hope. The hope of love for the loveless. The hope of forgiveness for the failed. The hope of strength for the suffering. The hope that groans in anticipation. The hope that grows in adversity. The hope that grounds our assurance. Through Jesus we have been born into a living hope. The hope that confronts corona with confidence. The hope that invades isolation with intercession. The hope that faces fear with faithfulness. The hope for now and not yet. The hope for a new creation. The hope for no more tears. The hope that Christ will come again. The hope that death will die. The hope that we will rise with him, in him, for him, forever. I trust that you've been encouraged this Easter Sunday. And as you prepare to go back into whatever this week, this whole season will hold for you, I want to encourage you to go in the blessing of God. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us always and forevermore. Amen. God bless you all.